Well, some of you may not know this, but I've spent the majority of my adult life as a building contractor. I build homes and, you know, remodel things. And, and I remember I was 20 years old and I went to do uh, what at that time was the largest proposed bid of my life. I mean, uh, it was like going to be more money than I've ever seen in my life. And, and I remember uh, driving my, uh, my 1974 two-toned you know, Chevy van, two tones were yellow and and rust. And uh, I remember pulling into this very, very high end exclusive neighborhood in the, on the shores of Lake Erie. And, uh, and I remember pulling in there and thinking that they're not even going to allow me to park my vehicle in this neighborhood, let alone work in this neighborhood. And so I pull up and, um, I'm just blown away by it all. And I'm thinking like, I just don't belong here. You know what I mean? And so I, I get out of the, the van, which I called the love magnet. And, uh, and, and I grab my, and I grab my flannel, my best flannel. And I, and I walk up and I could just tell as I approach this multi-millionaire uptown sort of a lady that she was very uncomfortable. And I wasn't really sure what made her so uncomfortable, whether it was the love magnet because I had the cracked windshield all over and no, you know, uh, no muffler. And like I had to put the cardboard under it so it wouldn't leak all over their driveway, you know, or it could have been just me because I looked like I stepped right out of the 1980s glam rocker magazines. I don't know if you, you remember Kiss? Just think of Kiss without the makeup. That's exactly what I look like. And so I'm sitting here trying to sell this, you know, high-end kind of a lady, this, this job, and we're talking it through. And, and, and I'm, I'm uncomfortable, and she's uncomfortable. And so I, I do the whole deal, and, and I turn around thinking, uh, this is crazy. This job could literally, like, double my net worth because... I had zero for net worth, you know, and, uh, and so I'm getting back in, in the love magnet, my van and, uh, thinking there is no way I am going to close this deal. I just don't belong with these people. Right. And so, uh, I'm getting in the van and at that exact moment, this black BMW whips into the driveway and, uh, it was the man of the house. And, and I remember I'm kind of getting ready and my thing's rumbling and, and he pulls in and he does his double take, like, and, and, and he's just like staring me down for a second. I'm like, you know, kind of a deal. And he smiles and he jumps out of the van, it's, you know. And so we chat just for a minute. And I thought, you know, that went well, but I think this is probably going to be the end of it. And I'll go on with the rest of my life and whatever. And, and so a couple of days later, I was very shocked, as you can imagine, when this lady calls me back and says, hey, you got the job. And now I didn't do this, of course, but I wanted to scream, What? are you crazy? I mean, you're going to pay me more money than I've ever seen in my whole life. You know? And, and, and now what was funny was I learned later from a mutual friend that when this man pulled up and did this double take, it was a flashback from his past because he was a product of the sixties. He was a long haired dope smoking, uh, you know, hippie Volkswagen driving van, sort of a guy who happened to catch a big break when his dad died and left him a fortune. That's basically the deal. And so he says to his wife, I don't know who that guy is, but any guy who can drive that thing looking like that deserves the job. I'm like, woo, doggy. But it's true. And uh, true story. Now, I want you to think about this idea of closing the deal. I don't care what business you're in. Closing the deal is hard 
to do. It's, it's the finished job, right? It's, it's difficult to peop, get people, if you're selling something or selling a product or a service, to get them to sign on the dotted line, to get them to sign on the bottom line, right? Uh, and it's the same thing in our walk with God. Think about this idea of closing the deal when it comes to, you know, uh, to, to, to this thing called faith. We've been talking about this idea that God wants us to become uh, very comfortable with being spiritually uncomfortable. He, he wants us to become comfortable with walking across the room. But there is going to be this moment that if friendship is real, if faith is real to us, that God will give us a moment where we can speak about him, where we can say his name, where we can tell our story and how, how this God-man relationship works with us. But for most of us, again, this sort of freaks us out. And we've been talking about how important this is. And we've been on this for five weeks now. This is our fifth week of this uncomfortable series. And and we've been talking about how how important it is to get up out of the chair and be willing to take those risks. How how important it is to get in the kingdom game. And we've been saying this for a long time. And some of y'all are going, yeah, I wish this series was over. We get the point. We understand the point. But I'm not so sure we get the point. Because the point is, is that people matter to God. All people matter matter to God. Lost people, not just churchy people, not just Christian people, not just good people, but people who are hard, people who are difficult, people who have a sordid past. They, they matter to God. People who doubt matter to God. And they ought to matter to us. Amen? You hear me? They ought to matter to us. And so we've been talking about just how important uh, this whole thing is that ultimately God wants you and me to be part of this process of faith in their life. That God wants to give them grace and forgiveness and hope and leadership and direction. And God, for some reason, wants you and me to be part of this. But it's scary when we start to think about this idea of sharing our faith. It's like closing the deal. It's the hardest part of it, right? But friends, it doesn't have to be. We've been talking about this as well, that, that if friendship is real, if, there, if we built some sort of relationship, that God will eventually give us an opportunity to speak because this is how life works. What's important to you will eventually come into the relationship, right? So some of y'all, when you think about this, like some of y'all are crazy and you love like NASCAR and these cars go in like circles for like hours, like just circles. And, and, and some of you are crazy about this stuff and eventually it will come into the conversation because if you love it, it will eventually come out of your mouth. If you love fishing, it'll eventually come out of your mouth. If you love hunting, it'll eventually come out of your mouth. If you love cars, it'll eventually come out of your mouth. Listen, some of you, God forbid, love these four-legged creature things, cats, and it just, it's crazy. But for you, you love fluffy. And so your love for fluffy eventually works its way into the conversation with your friends. It just does. And friends, it should be the same thing with our faith. That eventually, because we love Jesus, because he saved us and changed us, because he's the hope of who we are, that his name should come off our lips and it should work its way into our conversations. And so it's my guess that that there's a whole bunch of us who would love to do that more often, who have had opportunity to share about our faith. But the truth is, is that we would, we would be glad to go swim in the deep end if we could swim better, right? Where we would be glad to talk more about our faith if we maybe could say it just a little bit better. And so here's what I hope to do today is, um, I hope to kind of raise our collective usability factor. I, I hope today to maybe put words to what maybe you're already feeling. 
Maybe because there's some of you who say, you know what, I would love to share my faith with my, with my parents, but I just get tongue-tied and I don't quite know where to go with it. Um, I, I don't, you know, I got people I work with who I really care about and, and we've come across these issues, but I just don't know what to say or how to say it. Well, don't you think it would be great if we could somehow collectively raise our ability to communicate this thing that is so important to us? Y'all with me on this? And so I want to do something a little bit crazy today. Um, I want to do just that. So um, on your way in, you were handed or you should have got a napkin. You can go ahead and grab the napkin that's near you. I want everybody in the room to have a napkin and a pen. A napkin, everybody, old, young, men, women, everybody in between. If you are a person in this room who says, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to have a napkin. If you are on the front end of this deal and you come in here and you go, I'm not even sure like, what this is all about, I don't I want you to have a napkin, okay? It's very important. Some of y'all already destroyed your napkin and you're just, that's terrible. Don't destroy your napkin. You need a nice new fresh napkin for this, okay? So if you, if you need a napkin or a pen, these guys will help you out. Now, while they're helping you out, I want to read possibly what, what, what I think could be the worst verse in the entire Bible for Christians. The worst verse. This verse pushes me to do something I am very uncomfortable with. This verse pushes a whole bunch of us to go where we're not very comfortable. And it's found in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 5. Listen very, or verse 15, excuse me. Um, listen very carefully. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, you can. But I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. And I want you to read it for yourself. I want you to hear it for yourself. Let me read this to you. It says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to who? To everyone who asks you. To, to give them the reason for the hope that you have. He, he says there's going to be a moment in your life where somehow in your friendship, somehow in your family life, there's going to be a moment where, where faith becomes the topic. And you ought to be ready to, to share your deepest hope. You ought to be ready to share what is most precious to you. And then he says this little phrase, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this, not beating somebody over the head with the Bible, not yelling at them, not trying to win a debate, not trying to convince them, but just do it in a way that they feel your gentleness and they feel that you respect them, that you honor who they are. So it says this to me, that there's gonna be this moment that we ought to be ready for. And, and here's the deal, friends. I think the scripture is teaching us this because it's saying you better be ready because when this happens, it's like getting out of that lazy boy and it's moving into 3D zone. It's moving into life where it's gonna pop, where, where God becomes part of the conversation. So what I wanna do is I wanna do together the hard work of being ready for this. To be ready for this. Y'all with me on this? Okay, I wanna, I wanna help us together be able to put words to, to some of the deepest issues in our life, okay? So let me begin by telling you about a, a, a fellow that I, made, I met 10 years ago here at Metro. Uh, this guy was smart, and uh, he was in his mid-30s. He was well-educated. He had a great job uh, as an engineer. He was single, good-looking. Uh, I don't know what happened. He's not so good-looking anymore. But um, that's a joke. My goodness. Um, and, and so, um, and, and by his own admission, this fellow would say that he had spent his lifetime away from God. Not that he was a bad person, not that he was living like the devil or wild or anything like that, but he would just say, I had no interest in God or the things of God. I, I gave no thought to eternity in my life at all until a tragic event happened in his life. Uh, he said one of his best friends that he grew up with, same age as him, died suddenly, no warning at all, 
just, you know, died. And he said it shook him so deeply that he began to question his own eternity, his own, his own morality, uh, mortality. And, and he started to have these questions about his own life, right? And this is when he ended up wandering into Metro. And I'm not even sure how he eventually found us, but he finds us. And I'd run into him a couple times around here. And we had some kind of shallow conversations. But our relationship went a little bit deeper when he came to this thing called Entry Point. It's for those who are newer to Metro. But that's where I really started to connect with this guy. And to be honest, we just sort of hit it off. And so uh, we spent some time together, you know, had a few beers over lunch, that kind of a thing. Just kidding. Trying to loosen the room up, people. Come on, we're talking about an intense issue here. Okay, so, uh, uh, but we really did hit it off. We connected in a, in a pretty deep way. And uh, as I got to know him, um, he, he admitted that he was in a search mode in his life where his whole life was upside down. What he thought was true and what he thought was, was good in his life, it was all shattered. Um, life was, was in a nosedive for him. And uh, so he finds his way into our church and we're starting to connect. And, and at one point I, I say to him, I said, well, why don't we go out and spend some, some time together? And we're going to talk about some of these issues about the God-man relationship. And, and he was very open to it. And so uh, we, we planned a lunch together and I was on a uh, salad bar kick at the time in my life. And so uh, I was only doing salad bar dinners, you know. And so we went to Elias Brothers, our big boy together, right? And uh, we're there and... Uh, I'm listening to this man just tell his story and, and, and it was just some heavy, heavy stuff. And um, I was at this point where I just took this chance. I felt God calling me out of the chair and trying to take it to a different level. And, and I said to him at some point, I said, uh, w- would you mind if I just share with you how I view the God-man relationship, how I view how my relationship with Jesus works and, uh, and I say to him, I say, I'm going to do it on a napkin. I'm going to tell you the whole thing on one side of a napkin. And he looks at me and he goes, he's a very smart man. He goes, can you do that? I thought it'd take volumes of books to do that. Why do you preach for an hour every week if you can do it on one side of a napkin? You know? And I'm like, I can do it. I'm really good. I can do it. You know? And, um, and so I, I literally look around. I don't have a clean napkin. If you've ever know, uh, eaten with me, you will know why. Um, and so I had to call the waitress over and I say, ma'am, could, could I have a couple of clean napkins? And so she gives me some napkins and she leaves. And I say, ma'am, I need to borrow a pen as well. And so she brings a pen over and I say, I'll give you a tip-ish. And uh, just kidding. Uh, and, and so I, I say to this fellow, I say, let me explain what I think to be the story of God to you on a napkin. And what I want to do is I want to explain to you what I talked to him about that day 10 years ago. I want to go through this. So I want you to take your napkin, every one of you. And uh, I want to do this for two, two different reasons. Um, n- number one is because, again, there's a whole bunch of us who say, I am trying to follow God. And I would love to be able to share my thoughts and my, my heart in a better way. And maybe this could help serve you. But also, everybody look at me for a second. I realize in a room like this, there are a whole bunch of people who are not sure where they are with God. And maybe for you, um, you walk in here and you're still not convinced or maybe you're not ready to give your heart in this relationship with Christ. And my hope is that you'll at least understand where we're coming from, what we feel the story of God is, all right? And so on your napkin, I want you to, uh, to do this for me. I want you to write two words. I want you to write people and God. 
people and God. Because this is what I did with my friend, uh, people and God. And, and we're going to talk about these, the, the, these two different entities here, about us and, and about God in a little bit. Uh, but one thing I said to my friend, I'll say the same thing to you, is that, is that most of us at one time or another, we feel this hollowness of soul. That we're going through life and we're busy and we have all sorts of things going on. But if we were honest, there, there's a shallowness or a hollowness of soul that, that we wonder why we are here. We, we wonder, is there anything more to my life than just going through these motions and just keeping fed and just mowing my lawn and paying the bills? Uh, have you ever felt that way in your own life? And, and I try to say friend, to my friend, this is because there is a God who is gnawing away at your soul. There's a God who's, who's calling out to you, who, who says, I've created you for more. But there's this gap, there's this brokenness. And so I want you to write this, like draw this gap in. And, and here's people on one side and there's God on the other side. But between us and God is this brokenness. There is this distance. There's this gap between us and God. And, and friends, I think every single one of us in this room has felt this at one time or another. And those of us who have become Christians, we, we, we would freely admit we were here one time where, where there was this, this great divide between us and God. And, and I tried to explain this to, to my friend that this divide, it, it comes from this word that, that's a very nasty word today, but it's this word called sin. And so you may want to write sin down on your little napkin right there at the bottom. And, and, and you know what sin is? I told my friend this. I said, you don't need a preacher like me to tell you what, what sin is. You know what separates you from God. You, you know the, the greed in your heart. You know that you choose selfish things over selfless things. You, you choose lust over purity. You, you choose to be, to be proud rather than humble. You, you know what this is, right? All of us have this, this sin that separates us from God that causes a great gap inside of us. And uh, I think most of us would admit this in this room. That we know that there's a blackness in our soul. That we can try to be good. That we can try to do the right things. But for some reason, in some way, we, we, we screw this up. Where we do things that take joy away from us. We do things that break relationships rather than put relationships together. We, we do things that end up costing us, even though we thought it would bring us pleasure or freedom. and ends up bringing us captivity in our life. Most of us would admit that we struggle with this thing. Well, the Bible calls this word sin, and it separates us from God. Now, we're going to get back to that in a second, but I want to talk about these two entities, and I want to tell you a few things. And I told this to my friend. I said, I want to tell you about God a little bit. Now, there's a whole bunch of things about God, but there's three things in particular I want you to know about God because this is what I've learned about God, and I wanted my friend to know this. And so um, I wrote down on my little napkin, you may want to write it on yours, I wrote, number one, I want you to know that God is loving. God is loving. Now, you know, you may have grown up and heard, you know, God loves little children, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. He loves the children of the world, right? Y'all know the song, right? Okay. Listen, that's true. God loves the people of this world, all of them. But I looked across the table at my buddy and I said, but I want you to know that God loves you. That you matter to him. That your heart beating matters to him. God created you. 
And God wants a relationship with you. God has purpose for your life and direction for your life. And until you discover that, you will, you will never feel right in your soul. I want you to know that God loves you. Absolutely loves you. But there's something else I want you to know about God. Uh, I, I think that's easy for most of us to get around. That ultimately God is big and God loves people. But there's something else about God I, I think we need to know. And that number two, and you may want to write this down on your napkin, is that God is holy. God is, is good. God is holy. And, and, and you think about what this means, right? Because most of us go, well, yeah, I mean, God's different than us, but it's not like we're like big jerks or something. It's not like, you know, like, it's not like we're evil people. It's not like we're Hitler, right? And, and, and the truth is, we, we can feel this way. We, we can feel like I'm not as bad as the people who make the evening news, Right? I'm not as bad as the people they're locking up, and I, and I can be okay. But, but listen, friends, the truth is, is what holy means is that it's, it's totally other. It's totally pure. It's when we start to look at the impurity of our, of our own life, we can think we're good if we're comparing ourselves down the road to the other guy. But when we start to look at a God who is perfectly holy, who gets it right all the time, who is perfectly loving, perfectly faithful, perfectly full of hope, we start to look at our life and it begins to fall apart when we shine the spotlight up against of who we really are. Um, so you, you think about this, like I said this to my buddy, I said, you know, I know you think you're a decent guy. I know you think you're moral. I know you think you kind of got it going on in life. And you know what? All those things are good. But, but there's a question we have to ask. And you may want to write this down on your napkin because I wrote it down on this napkin. I said, how good is good enough? Because compared to Hitler... You're pretty good. But compared to Mother Teresa, I'm thinking not so much. Right? Here's the problem with, with us trying to gauge how good we are with somebody else or against somebody else or compared to somebody else. The problem is that the gauge keeps moving. Against the Stalins of the world and the Mussolinis and the rapists and the murders of the world, we go, yeah, I'm way better than that. But compared to the Billy Grahams and the Mother Teresas of the world, we're not so good. And so there's this kind of moving line, right? And so I remember asking my friend, uh, I said, well, if we were to go one to 10, and like 10 is like Mother Teresa, and that's like as good as you're going to get in this world. And, and one is like the bottom of the barrel, like the Hitlers of the world. I said, you know, kind of where you're at, where are you in this, right? And he's like, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, somewhere in there. I'm like, really? Seven, eight. And I said, let me ask you a couple of questions. I'll ask you the same questions I asked him 10 years ago. I said this, I, I said, let me ask you this. Um, have you ever lied? Well, what are you saying, Jay? I'm not like a liar. I'm a good guy. I try to be, I try to be truthful. No, no, no. Have, have you ever lied? Well, I, you know, well, no. Have you ever, I don't know, deceived somebody? Have you ever kind of stretched the, the truth a little bit? Have you ever lied on your taxes? What does that make you? Well, I mean, I lie, but I'm not lying. Well, really, how many times do you have to lie to be a liar? Once. So has God ever lied? You're not doing too well already. Right? And then, and then I said this, I said, have you ever stolen anything? Well, I'm not a thief. I work hard for my money. I, I, I got a good job. I, I don't need to steal anything. No, no, have you ever, have you ever taken something that's not yours? Maybe padded your expense account? 
Maybe, maybe uh, padded your hours a little bit. Maybe overbilled somebody. Maybe you saw somebody drop something that you knew was theirs and you took it anyways just because they didn't see it. So what does, that, what does that make you? Have you ever taken a pen from a hotel that you knew full well was the hotel's? Well, I'm not a thief. Well, really, how many times do you have to steal something to become a thief? Once. I said, well, are you, have you ever committed adultery? He goes, I got you there, pastor. No, I've never done that. Are you crazy? Not even married. I'm like, oh. Oh, that's good. I said, well, have you ever looked at a woman... I don't know, with, with a lot of lust, a lot of desire, who was not your wife. Well, yeah, but, but who hasn't? Well, Jesus says that if, you know, it's, it's, that adultery is, you know, staying out of the, the woman's bed is a good thing, but you know what? If you look lustfully at her just once, he says, you're just waiting outside the bedroom door. He says, you've already committed adultery in your heart. I said, now, let me ask him, um, have you ever put anything in front of God before? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I try to do the right thing. I mean, have you ever put anything in front of God at all? Like, like let's say this, like you knew that you were supposed to give something to, to the kingdom effort, some way to help humanity in some way, but, but you said that you couldn't because you couldn't afford it, but you darn well know you could afford it because you could afford to go out to eat and have cable television. What is, that, what is that called? Well, I mean, it's maybe bad priorities. No, the Bible calls that idolatry. The Bible calls putting something that you know to do that is to honor God, but you choose another pathway. You honor something else more. That's called idolatry. So by your own admission, you are a lion, thieving, adulterous idolater. You are not doing good. And we've only talked about four of the Ten Commandments at this point. Okay? You see, the problem is that when we look down the street to compare ourselves to them, we can do okay because we're not putting a gun to somebody's head. But compared to a God who's holy and perfect, if things start to, to crumble around us, right? Um, so God is loving and God is holy. We're not so much. But there's another word that we need to write down. I wrote this word, God is just. You see, God looks at the, the things of this world that are wrong, the things of this world that are broken. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold those things into account. And the truth is, friends, we would want a God to do that, would we not? We want a God who looks at the brokenness and the evil of this world, and we want a God who will hold that into an account. We want to say he's going to judge that and make that right. I was reading this little article about, uh, about a judge in Scotland. I see a man had murdered his wife in cold blood. He admits it in court, and he says, I am so sorry. He shows all this kind of you know, sorrow, and he says, I, I screwed up, and he was so sorry for it. But he admits he murdered her in cold blood. When it came down to the sentencing, he was found guilty and the judge literally says in front of the court, I'm going to choose to let you go because you've already feel bad enough about it. Now, do you think that's a good thing? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, the people of Scotland rose up and basically drove him out of a job. They demanded his resignation because he had no right to do it because his job is to make wrong things Right. His job is to bring justice to an evil world. Amen? Y'all hear what I'm saying? And we want a God who does that. And so God is, is just. That's, that's what he does. He, he fairly judges the sinfulness of this world. And we've already admitted that we are liars, thieves, adulterers, and idolaters. And he judges that. We are far from perfect. We are far from holy. 
And so let's talk about this other thing here, people. You see, we, we wrote up on top of the napkin, there, there's God, and then there, and there's people, and there's a great thing that separates us, and there's this thing called sin. And, and what's interesting is that if you look at people, all of us have sin. I mean, we would all admit that, right? I mean, none of us are perfect. The scripture says, I'm not, you're not, nobody's perfect. And we just look around at humanity, and we are not perfect. We get it wrong way too often. Would you admit that? Okay, now, now listen. Do you realize that you were born like that? Right? You take this little, beautiful little baby. Do you have to teach that baby to do wrong or to do right? Come on. You have to teach it to do right. You have to teach it not to do wrong. It's born inside of us. The Bible calls this a sin nature. It's already inside of us. This is why we got to teach our kids to be honest, our kids not to steal, to be, to be fair, to, to, to share things, right? Because everything in our nature is sinful. Everything in our nature goes in the other direction. But it's way worse than that. We could mark that up as saying, hey, God put it inside of me. It's way worse than that, though. We have this thing called a free will, where if we were to be completely honest in this room, every single one of us, has chosen today to do something to separate us from God. We've chosen today to do something that would, would take us away from peace and joy in our relationships with other people. We've chosen this. This, this, sin, this thing called sin nature has come into this thing called free will. And we choose to actually separate ourselves from God. And the Bible says that there is a result to this. And so I'm talking to my friend about all this. And I said, now, wouldn't you admit that you do things that you just know in your heart at the end of the day, separate you from what God wants for, for your life? He says, yeah. And I said, well, the Bible says, and you may want to write this down in your card, maybe somewhere on the bottom, uh, Romans 6, 23. You just don't have to write the whole verse. You should go back and memorize this, but write the verse name down there. Romans 6, 23. Um, it says this, that, that that sin, that nature inside of you and the actions that you choose it has a result, and that result is this thing called death. It separates you from God. Not just like in eternity, in this place called hell, but it separates you from all things godly right now on earth. It separates you from the joy of God, the life found in God, the leadership found in God. It takes you away from this thing called life, and it brings death eventually inside of your soul. That's why you have a growing blackness inside of you. Most of us don't get better naturally. Most of us fall apart naturally. And so the Bible says that, that what we've earned, the wages of our sin, it's death. It separates us from God. And it ends up causing a, a, a collapse in our life, a slide in our life. So I wrote a little arrow going down. I said, this is where we end up for all of us. Eventually, this nature inside of us takes us down to the pits of life. Anybody ever experience this? Come on. Anybody? When you let the worst part of you run, oh my gosh, it brings us to the pits of life. This is what the scripture says is true of all of humanity. And then, this is where the good news comes in. I said to my friend, I said, but, but this isn't where it ends. It says the wage of our sin is death, but the gift of God is, is life, is eternal life. He speaks life into a death and dying world. He, he speaks hope into a, a, a depraved world, a depressed world. He speaks life into you. He, he brings life when you don't even deserve it. As a matter of fact, you may want to write this down because uh, I shared with him this, this little verse. It's Romans 5, 8. 
And you may want to write that right underneath there, and you should go back and memorize this. But, but it's this passage, and I try to share this, like when, when, when we are not at all attracted toward God, when you're like in your own little office in Dearborn doing your own thing, God's like knocking on your door going, hey, McFly! I'm not done with you. I have hope for you. I want a right relationship with you. And the scripture says that while we were sinners, enemies of God, far from God, not caring about God, God called into you. God reaches out to you. He never, ever abandons you. It says while we were still enemies of God, said, listen to this, God demonstrates his own love for us. That he died for us. He, he literally dies for us to make us right before God. And so I, at this point, I, I kind of drew a little cross right down here. And I said, God bridges this gap, that, that this huge gap between us and him with, with Jesus. The cross of Jesus, it, it moves us toward God. It allows us to come toward God. As a matter of fact, Jesus one time, speaking of himself, he says this. This will blow your mind. This is what God says that he came for. This is, this is the very words of Jesus. He says, he says, John 5, 42. You may want to jot that verse down somewhere in your napkin. He says, I tell you the truth. John 5, 42, uh, or 24, excuse me. John 5, 24. It says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words. Pause for a second. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he's like stamping his foot down going, would you listen to me? I'm going to tell you something that's big here. I'm going to tell you something that's going to be life-changing for you. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's an expression of authority. He says, uh, whoever hears my words and believes him, remember this, believes him, who, who has sent me has what? Eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And so I, I, I put this cross in the middle of this little diagram and I say to my friend, Christ, through Christ, we cross over. Not, not, not that picture. Uh, go back one. Uh, we, we cross over. It's through Christ that we're allowed to go and be with God. I want, I want to tell you something. The central truth of the scripture, the, the central truth of the gospel is that Christ died in our place, that he was the substitute for us, that, that we are the ones who sinned, and yet he chose to die for us. Now, please hear me on this. In the cross... Think about this. In the cross, he expressed his, the love of God. He upheld the holiness of God and he satisfied the justice of God in the cross. Friends, he did this so that he could offer us grace, so that he could offer you hope, so that he could offer you forgiveness and friendship and leadership. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We, 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 we can do nothing for it. The only way that we can receive this right relationship with God is to humble our hearts. It's to admit our sin and our waywardness. It's to beg for his forgiveness and, and to say yes to his incredible offer of grace. Jesus called this believing in him. Have you ever heard this term? Jesus said, if you would believe in me. Well, it's more than just going, oh, I see you right there. I believe you. you're fine. It's good. Intellectually, in my mind, I understand who you are. He says, no, 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 no. It's so much bigger than that. He says, believing means that that you've looked at, at two different pathways. Believing in him means that you've looked at, at all that sin has to offer and you looked at all that God has to offer and you've returned from this, you've repented from this and you believe that God's better. It, it's looking at all that more immorality has to offer you and impurity has to offer you. 
And it's looking at God and saying, oh, this is so much better. It's looking at all of the things that greed and selfishness that can bring in our life. And then looking at all that Christ has and saying, this is so much better. Jesus says, if you believe in him, there's a repentance that occurs. Jesus calls this a total life change. Jesus calls this where where faith drives your life and you do your best to live out that faith. You begin to live for the glory of God in your life. And where we put our, it's this idea that we put our hope, our trust, our ways in him, in him. Now, I want, I want to throw a little question at you. And you may or may not be asking this question, but I think a lot of people do ask this question. When they start to think, okay, I get it. Jesus dies for me and he gives me this new hope and direction, but I don't quite understand why does anybody have to die? Why can't God just forgive and forget? My mama taught me to forgive and forget. Why can't God forgive and forget? You ever think about that? Why, why, why did Jesus actually have to die? Let me tell you something. Let's just pretend that you have a neighbor and you really like that neighbor. And you think he's just the greatest guy ever. And you get a new car, brand new car, shiny new car. It is sitting in your driveway. And for some reason, your neighbor goes crazy, slides off the road and smashes into your car. If that's not enough, he gets all discombobulated and he pulls out and he smashes into it again. Right? Now you can go to your neighbor and you can come out and say, are you okay? Are you okay? And you love your neighbor. And you can say, man, I forgive you. It's going to be okay. I forgive you. And if you choose to let him walk away, you're still holding a big debt, aren't you? You, you still have to have somebody pay for the damages. Y'all get this? You have to have, it's got to be made right in some way. Friends, it's the same way with God. He, um, he is willing to forgive us and to restore the relationship. It's ours for the asking, but he, he's a just God. He's a fair God and he still has to pay for the damages. He still has to make sure it is, it is accounted for because he would not be a good God if he just let us get away. Y'all hear me on this? Do, do you get this? We don't want a God who just winks at sin. We don't want a God, a God who just lets it all go. Now, another question that's closely related to this, and I think this is so important, is people go, okay, I get that. I get that. But why did Christ have to die for me? Why, did, why was it Jesus who had to pay for the penalty? Why was this innocent, perfect, holy bystander that you say that he was, why did he have to pay the penalty? And, and some of us get our minds around that and we go, I can't accept that. I can't even understand that. It doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like a good God. That sounds like a bad God. What kind of form of justice is that? Have you ever thought about this? Think about how, think about how this works. Back in the medieval days, way back in the ancient times where there was kings and kingdoms, the sons of royalty, they would often have slaves and servants, right? And as they were being educated or taught or apprenticed in some way, oftentimes when they would do something wrong, you know what the teacher would do? The teacher would go get a whooping boy. Have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of this? The whooping boy? You know where it comes from, right? It's because no teacher would ever lay his hand on the son of royalty. But they knew that that son of royalty had to be accountable. And so what they would do is they'd go get a friend of the son of royalty or they would go get a slave of the son of royalty and they would beat that person instead of the royalty thinking that somehow they'll feel bad and somehow they'll learn their lesson. Now you think about that form of justice. Is that just at all? That's crazy. 
And we think, well, that's kind of what God's doing. No, it's not. It's totally different than that. It is not that at all. As a matter of fact, it's so different because Jesus is the very one we've sinned against. Jesus is the very one that we hurt. Jesus is the very one that we broke the relationship with. And he's the only one who has the right to say, it was my car and I choose to let it go. It was sin against me and it has to be made right. And I choose to take the whooping for it. That is justice. That is right. And so, friends, I just, to kind of wrap this up, I remember sitting with my friend at this table and my mind was racing. I was pounding. I was thinking, like, oh my gosh, should I screw this up? It's the best I could do. I hope he gets it. And, um, and, I, and I kind of said, now let's go over this again. We got a God-man relationship. There's brokenness, separation. And the only way to get across is Jesus. He, he is our only hope. He is our only way to get across. And then I remember asking my friend. I hand him the pen. And I said, um, would you be honest with me? When you came in to this room, when we sat down to talk, you were where? Where were you on this continuum? And where are you right now? Where are you at right now? I said, I want you to put an X on this movement toward God because I know you started way over here. But now at least when we came into the room, you were, you were somewhere around here. Where are you at? And I remember handing the pen. I was so nervous. And he puts this thing down there and he grabs that napkin, flips it around, and his hand's shaking. He said, Jay, I'm right about here. And he puts an X right there. And I'm like, woo! Pretty close. And then I said to my friend Mike McGuire, who's a big part of our church. I said, Mike, what keeps you from crossing over right now? What, what keeps you for trust, from trusting God, believing in God? For the forgiveness of your sin to be made right in this God-man relationship, what keeps you? And you know what he said? He goes, not much. Nothing really. I said, Mike, we can pray right now. You can cross that bridge right now. Ten years ago, um, two grown men grab hands, unfinished salad between us. Very sad. And we bow our heads. I'm sure the whole restaurant's looking because we are weeping like babies. Because in that moment, uh, Michael uh, prayed to cross over to go from death to life to accept Jesus to believe on him to gain the forgiveness of his sin and to give his heart to Christ one of the greatest days in my life to help my friend on that journey incredible so here's what I want to do um I want to end like this. I want you to put your pens down. And in a moment, um, I want you to just look at me for a second. In a moment, we're going to pray. 
And um, I don't want this to be like a bait and switch to anybody. I don't want you to feel like that at all. But I want to ask every single one of you a question. I want you to think in your mind right now. Think in your mind. Where would you put that X when you walked into this room? Where were you in this God-man relationship? Maybe for some, uh, you were way over here when you walked in the room. Maybe for some, you're like these happy farmers, like just hanging out, like you're so close. Maybe for some, you're like, like right in the stinking middle. And others of you, maybe you're like walking with him. You're like in, and there's a part of you that goes, I am so grateful for the grace of God in my life. This is where I stand. So in a moment, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and pray, and I'm going to ask you to put an X where you are right now. Right now. Think about where you were. Maybe you can even put that down. And then scratch it out and move it one way or another. Or maybe just circle it and say, here's where I am still. So could you just do this with me? Could you just humbly bow your head? Father in heaven, so grateful for your grace and mercy. God, I, uh, wow. For, for me, as I, as I think about this, I am so grateful for the forgiveness of my sin, for, for carrying me over, for doing in my soul what I could not do for myself. My guess is that there's a whole bunch of us in this room who already recognize that. And I just pray that this whole understanding of, of what Christ does for us just moves you a little closer to God. Maybe you're already over there, but there's some in this room who you came and you were squarely on the people's side. And maybe right now you're standing at the foot of the cross and I just got to ask you humbly, what could possibly keep you from going across? What's keeping you from putting your faith, your hope, your trust in him? I get it. There's questions. We always got questions. But maybe today you're ready to start this journey on the faith side, on the God side. So maybe right now you'd grab your pen, everybody in the room, and just put down where you're at right now, where you want to be. And we're going to pray right now. Where are, you, where are you going right now? Where do you want to be? Because we're going to settle this right now. So dear God, um, I pray for each person in this place. I, I pray that your spirit would carry them beyond what they thought was possible. God, that you would speak into their life in ways that they did not even know was possible. So do a work inside of them, God. For those who are ready to cross over, who are are willing to say, I trust, I believe, I put my hope in Christ. Maybe for you, I'm going to just lead you in a little prayer, okay? And, And maybe you just need to say something like this to God. You need to say, dear God, I don't know everything about you. I'm just starting this whole deal off. Um, but I confess that I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I uh, do some stupid stuff in this world and I've broken my relationship with you. But I want to make it right. 
I turn. I, I move towards you. God, I ask you to do inside of me what I cannot seem to do for myself. God, put faith inside of me. I invite your spirit to come and take up residence inside of me. Forgive my sin. Put joy in my soul. And help me to follow you. Help me to follow. Thank you for loving me and reaching toward me. In Jesus' name.